0: Now let's listen to a great program.
1: So we're going to begin with the Jesus prayer, and and you'll see as we go through this series why this particular prayer is so fitting. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O my divine Savior, transform me into Yourself. May my hands be the hands of Jesus. May my tongue be the tongue of Jesus. Grant that every faculty of my body may serve only to glorify you. Above all, transform my soul in all its powers, that my memory, my will, and my affections may be the memory, the will, and the affections of Jesus. I pray you to destroy in me all that is not you, grant that I may live but in you and for you, and that I may truly say with St. Paul, I live, now, not I, but Christ lives in me. The saint that wrote that, St. John Gabriel Pervor, was a missionary in China, and he was martyred around the year 1840. His martyrdom is remarkable because in many ways it parallel, the passion of our Lord, he's betrayed by a friend with 30 pieces of money. He was taken to tribunal and tribunal. He was tortured and beaten. And then finally, around three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, he was triple strangled on a cross. That is, they would strangle him till he was unconscious, allow him to revive and repeat it three times. Saint John Gabriel Pearborn. During Lent, we sometimes sing a wonderful hymn that asks us this question. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? The overall idea of these presentations is the mystery of incomprehensible love. But the overriding thought that prompted this presentation this evening was that penetrating question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? To answer that question, let's go to mass and let's begin at the beginning. Every mass begins with a procession, either the short procession from the sacristy or on most solemn occasions like Sundays from the back of church. It's a reminder that Jesus in the person of the priest is leading us to Calvary as he staggered up that hill to the cross. As the priest priest approaches the altar, I can't help looking at that crucifix. It reminds me of a game I used to play with my children. I would say, putting my hands like this, does daddy love you this much? They would say, no. Then I'd open my arms like this, does daddy love you this much? They'd say no. Then I'd go, does daddy love you this much? And they would say yes. And then that was hugs and kisses time. You see, Jesus played the love game with us. He said, I love you this much. As he opened his arms on Calvary, so our sins could nail him to the cross. Every Mass takes us to that event on Good Friday. In the revelation between, with Father Gobi, the Blessed Mother described how she held the hand of St. John. She called him Little John in order to give him the courage to stay there with them as Jesus went through his agony on the cross. At every Mass, we should ask our Blessed Mother, Dear Mother, take me by the hand and lead me to Calvary so I can learn to love your Son. So getting back to that initial question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Well, the correct answer should be yes. I was there this morning when I was at Mass. Or I was there again on Sunday when I attended Mass. Well, how is this possible? Well, certainly Jesus is not being crucified again at mass, even in a symbolic way. That is why the book of Hebrews describes Jesus' sacrifice to the cross as a sacrifice that is unique, that is, once for all, a once-for-all sacrifice, and declares that Jesus does not offer himself repeatedly, and thus, the book of Hebrews contrasts Jesus' once only, his singular sacrifice of the cross, with the numerous sacrifices of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice was repeated. On the cross, it's only repeated one time. So the blood of bulls and goats do not take away sin, but our Lord's passion and death did. And so he entered then into the holy place, the heavenly sanctuary, with his own blood in order to secure our salvation. So in order to understand what sacred scripture is teaching, we must know that Jesus' offering is totally self-sacrificing. That is the key. That is the fundamental idea to understanding the miracle of Jesus' passion and death. It wasn't the suffering. It was his love, his self-sacrificing love to the Father in that suffering for us. So self-sacrificing love is the key. And we see this wonderfully described in the book of Hebrews when it talks about Jesus' agony in Gethsemane. Let me read the passage to you. It's a beautiful passage. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and suffocations with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Though he was a son, he learned obedience. Now that's important. You see, in scripture, obedience is love in action. It's love acted out. It's a very important idea. So when my children were small and they were disobeying mom, I'd say, son or daughter, when you disobey mom, you're saying by your behavior, mom, I don't love you. Of course, that wasn't what they were thinking. But they need to get the idea. Because if they learn to be obedient to mom and dad, later on, they'll learn to be obedient to Jesus. They'll learn to love and so the book of hebrews goes on so he through what he suffered and being made perfect through his suffering he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by god as a high priest according to the order of melchizedek now because the focus of that passage that I just read is on Jesus' pointed plea to the Father, it's easy to neglect his other requests, namely his ardent plea to his disloyal and untrustworthy disciples. In the scene in the garden, they represent us, as we are flawed like them, and we too are invited to accompany Jesus and comfort him in his passion. Jesus warned, you will all fall away tonight because of me. Peter went so far as to contradict Jesus, and boldly he puts himself above the others. Though they may all fall away, I will never fall away. Well, we know how that ended. Then when Jesus predicted Peter's denials, he contradicted Jesus again. Even if I must die with you, I will not betray you. And so did all the other apostles. When Jesus takes these feeble, shabby men with him to Gethsemane to be with him, he's also taking all of us. Just as he happens to find us with all our flaws, with our unfaithfulness, even our sinfulness, but he's there to transform us. And he says, So. Could you not watch with me just one hour? Hmm. Pray and watch that you may not enter into temptation. As we accompany Jesus in his passion, it is critical that we are permeated with the humble attitude of the tax collector who could not even lift up his eyes to heaven But kept beating his breast, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And therefore, we pray at the confidior, I confess. What do I confess? That I have greatly sinned in my thoughts, in my words, in what I have done? And yes, what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault as we strike our breast. The humble attitude that we need to have as we enter Mass is also beautifully expressed by the lovely prayer of the great St. Ambrose. This remarkable saint, who was responsible in part for the conversion of St. Augustine, once excommunicated the Emperor Theodosius, of whom he required eight months of public penance, and then a public repentance. As this saintly bishop near death in the year 397, Emperor Theodosius declared, I know of no bishop worthy of the name except Ambrose. Boy, we could use some Ambroses today, could we not? Because of the length of his prayer, I just want to share the first part of it with you. Think of us, the attitude we should have as we are attending Mass. I draw near to the table of your most delectable banquet, dear Lord Jesus Christ, a sinner. I trust not in my own merit, but in fear and trembling, I rely on your mercy and goodness. I have a heart and a body marked by many offenses and a mind And a tongue I have not guarded well. For this reason, God of loving kindness and awesome majesty, I, a sinner, caught by many snares, seek refuge in you. For you are the fountain of mercy, I would fear to draw near you as my judge, but I seek you out as my Savior. Wow. You see, Jesus is the eternal high priest at every mass, offering himself to the Father to us through the ordained priest. So Father stands in the person of Christ, That is why at the words of consecration, is this is my body. And when he gives us absolution, when he hears our confession, and I absolve you from your sins, because he's functioning in the person of Jesus. So while it is true that Jesus' physical sufferings ended and will never be repeated, this is the key his total self-sacrificing love to the Father on our behalf is eternal. It continues. It never ceased. As the book of Hebrews declares, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So Jesus has not retired from being a priest any more than he's retired from being a king. Consequently, the book of Hebrews declares, he was able for all times to save those who approach God through him. Since he always lives, is always living to make intercession for them, that is, for us. And so the book continues For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, like, for example, the Jerusalem temple, a mere copy of the true one, that is, the heavenly temple, but he entered into heaven itself when he ascended to the Father, now to appear in the presence of God the Father on our behalf. This is what we participate in at every Mass. And finally, as St. Paul adds in his letter to the Romans, well, who is to condemn us? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed intercedes for us? No. Jesus loves us. He doesn't condemn us. This is the awesome reality of every mass. The understanding of Jesus's active, everlasting priesthood is also clearly presented in the book of Revelation. In John's glorious vision, Jesus identified as a lamb 28 times, compared to only four times in the whole rest of the New Testament. John also identifies an altar in heaven seven different times. Well, an altar is a place of sacrifice. And so the book of Revelation portrays Jesus as priest, king, and victim. And between the throne, the throne in heaven, and the four living creatures, and among the altars, I saw a lamb standing as though slain. Well, slain lambs don't stand, they collapse. What is he seeing? He's seeing Jesus' glory being represented as a sacrificial victim with the glorious marks of his passion glorified on his glorified body. And so he says, the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And so it is that the sacrifice of the mass perfectly fulfills the prophecy of Malachi. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations, that is, the Gentiles. And in every place, incense, that sacrificial smoke that represents our prayers, Incense is offered in my name and a pure offering, a pure sacrifice for my name is great among the nations says the Lord God of hosts. So why is the mass always a sacrifice? It is because the mass represents, that is makes present the one sacrifice of Calvary. So there's this incredible sense, this miracle that takes place at every Mass that we can't visually see. But what's happening in reality, simultaneously we're being brought to Calvary and simultaneously we're being brought into the heavenly Jerusalem where the eternal Mass continues for all eternity. During the Last Supper, when Jesus confected the first Blessed Eucharist that anticipated his death the next day on Good Friday, he ordained his apostles with these words Do this in remembrance of me. The Greek word for do, (laughs) it means it's a command, It, it, it means to offer this, it's a sacrificial term. And the idea of remembrance. And biblically, it doesn't just mean you remember something. It means that the memory is so powerful that the event you're memorizing is brought and made present to you in the here and now. And so it is, the catechism teaches, the victim is one and the same. That's Jesus. The same now, Jesus offers himself to the ministry of our priest, who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of the offering is different, but the essence is the same. The sacrifice of the cross was a bloody sacrifice. The sacrifice of the mass is not a bloody sacrifice. And the glorified Jesus lives eternally. So the sacrifice in mass occurs when Jesus, acting in the person of Christ, says the words of institution, this is my body, which is given up for you, sacrificed. Notice the sacrificial language. And then the cup, which is poured out, which is sacrificed for you, is the covenant of my blood. When Jesus repeats these words through our priests, this is my body, he proclaims his eternal, loving, total self giving of himself to the Father for us. He's saying, in effect, Father, my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions, everything, I surrender everything to you for them. And when Jesus says the words again through the priest this is the by blood of the new covenant he's saying father all the suffering all the pain my even death everything i surrendered all of that to you for them wow didn't you know that Jesus formed the catholic church as a kingdom of priests Let's go back a little bit into the Old Testament. When God rescued the Hebrew people from bondage in Egypt, the real challenge wasn't getting them out of Egypt. The real challenge was getting Egypt out of them. And he brings them to Mount Sinai where he declared, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, this family, marital bond I'm making with you. You shall be my own people among all peoples. And you shall be to me, here it is, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Sadly, that lofty designation, that lofty (laughs) designation, Destiny came crashing down with the apostasy of the golden calf. When Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he beheld a blasphemous orgy, and he called out, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me! And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the God of Israel, Put every man his sword on his side and go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay everyone his brethren. Wow. Wow. And the sons of Levi did the word of Moses. And there fell that day 3,000 men. And then Moses said to the Levites, today you have ordained yourselves. From that point forward, in the history of the Jewish people, only the Levites could serve as priests. However, when Jesus restored the king of priests in his church, all of that changed. And so St. Peter declared, But you are a chosen race. Now, he's not just directing this to our day ministers, he's talking about all Christians. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Notice the similarity with St. Peter is teaching us and what God said to the Hebrew people through Moses. Why? That you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The book of Revelation opens praising Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. In other words, every one of you shares in the priesthood of Christ. One of the marvels of the sacrament of baptism is that we are consecrated into the priesthood of Jesus, not in the same sense that Father is. And so, as we'll see in a moment, there's a dual sacrifice that should be going on at every Mass. And therefore, the ministerial and the hierarchical priesthood of bishops and priests and the common priesthood of the faithful, which is all of us, are called to participate together in a different way in the same eternal sacrifice of Christ that takes place at every Mass. So therefore, at Mass, we are called to be a victim by the sacrifice of ourselves, With the sacrifice of Jesus. It's this dual sacrifice that we're called to participate in. And this is highlighted in the liturgy itself, right before the Eucharistic prayer. What does Father say? He says, Pray, brethren. Remember that phrase in Latin, orate fratres. Pray, brethren, what? Notice what he says that my sacrifice and yours, not our sacrifice, His sacrifice is one, our sacrifice is the other. And it's very, very clear that that's the meaning in the Latin text. That my sacrifice and yours will be acceptable to God, the Father Almighty. Understanding our sacrificial role is vital to understanding what we should be doing at every Mass. That's what participation in Mass really is all about. Beautiful music is important, and we're blessed at St. Peter's with lovely and tasteful music. But we're not here for entertainment. It's not a concert. Scripture is very important, but the Mass is not a Bible study. The purpose of the Word of God is to lead us to the Word who is God. Good preaching is important. Again, we're blessed at St. Peter's. But his purpose is not to educate. It's to challenge us to enter more fully into the sacrifice of the mass. In other words, to become Christ. So just as Jesus offered himself to the Father with the words of consecration, we should be doing the same thing. And so we should be saying in the words of consecration, Father, my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions, everything, all my love for my family, Father, I surrender all of that to you for them. And when Father says the consecration of the wine into the body and blood of Christ, we should say, Father, my hopes, my dreams, my suffering, my sinfulness, my inadequacies, my life, I surrender all. To you, for them, you see, we get to tag on. That through Jesus is offering himself to the priest, and we're invited to tag on and offer ourselves with him. Wow. Let's talk about a concept called active participation. On December the fourth, in 1963, the Second Vatican Council issued the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, in Latin Sacramentum Concilium. In paragraph 14, the Council Fathers affirmed the following. Mother Church earnestly desires that all the faithful should be led to that fully conscious and active participation. Notice, fully conscious and active participation in the liturgical celebrations which is demanded (coughs) by the very nature of the liturgy, of the worship. Such participation by the Christian people (coughs) as, now listen to the language, as a Chosen race, <clears throat> a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a redeemed people. Who are they citing? St. Peter's letter. <coughs> Is their right and their duty by reason of their baptism. So in the restoration and the promotion of the sacred liturgy, (coughs) this full and active participation by all the people is the aim to be considered the purpose above all else. What happened? Unfortunately, (coughs) because of the lack of proper instruction, Full and active participation came to mean having the land doing more stuff at Mass. So, for example, being lectors. I'm a Acting as extraordinary ministers of the Blessed Eucharist. Uh, responding to certain Mass prayers. Singing more. Uh, signing, reading along with Father as he goes through the Mass using, using missilettes, for example. All of those are wonderful things, but that's not what they mean by full and active participation. It causes antiquity into the sacrifice of the mass so that our self-sacrificing offer, our humble sacrifice, is incorporated into the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Wow. At the offertory, his father holds up the pattens like a saucer with the unconsecrated host. A lady holds up the chalice with the unconsecrated wine and a little water. <clears throat> I can't help thinking of the Blessed Mother <clears throat> in the for Mystery, the fourth for Mystery, as she's taking Jesus to the temple. And so I think, gee, Mother. Put me on that pattern. Place me in that chalice. Help me to offer myself to the Heavenly Father, your divine Son. Everything we ever do in this life is limited. Even the astounding holiness of the Blessed Mother does not reach the infinite. But in the sacrifice of the mass, we get to participate in an infinite act of glory and praise to God the Father. There's nothing that exceeds that. And so how does the priest end the Eucharistic prayer? Thank you, Father, my Savior. (laughs) Listen to the beautiful prayer. You all know it. Through him, with him. Who's the him? That's Jesus. And in him. Oh God, almighty Father, in unity of the Holy Spirit, and here it is all, that means infinite, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. When Father says that prayer at Mass, And we respond with our amen. We should be saying that amen with so much conviction, with so much love, that the demons in hell are trembling in terror. In the insightful little book, The God Who Loves You, Peter Kreef explores the key to happiness that Jesus teaches us at every mass. This is what he writes. The way to happiness is self-forgetful love. Self-forgetful love. While we seek the happiness of others. Tragically, goes on. Our world has brought us into the path of unhappiness in which self-regard, self-worthiness, and the search for personal happiness becomes the end of everything as we now are honoring a new Trinity, me, myself, and I. Doesn't work. So our participation in the passion of Jesus at every Mass is the school that profoundly teaches us that God is love, that he created every one of us out of love and for love, in spite of all the others he could have created in our place who would love him better than us. He wants to teach us total self-giving, unselfish generosity. St. Paul expresses this wonder in his marvelous letter to the Romans. He says, in amazement, why, why one could hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Peter Kreef captures the immensity of God's astounding love in a little poem. If all the seas with ink would fill, and were the skies a parchment made, were every pen on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the whole contain the scroll, though stretched from sky to sky. Wow. Let's say the large Prayer together. Our Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So next Monday, we have a new theme. The theme next Monday is going to be the kiss of the bridegroom. That idea is drawn from my favorite book of the Old Testament, the Song of Songs. So thank you very much. Nice being with you tonight. Thanks so much
0: for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at Magnificat-Ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at MagnificatCST at AOL.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.